Hey guys, Vadim here. Just want to remind you that I recently released a free ebook on DIY recording. It's called How to Record Your Band. It has over 70 pages of information to help you get started or improve your DIY recordings. If you want to check that out, head over to howtorecordyourband.com. You put in your email address and then you get a download link as well as a couple of um, emails that have recommendations on specific gear for 2020. Enjoy the episode. You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Hi, welcome everyone to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. As always, I'm your host, Benjamin Hall, and I'm here with my co-host, Vadim. Hey, Vadim. <laughs> I'm with Calm Frog <laughs> Recording. We have a great episode for you guys today. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, talking about some gear recommendations. Uh, whether you're starting out or you're looking to make some upgrades or expand your studio a little bit, this is going to be a fun episode. We're going to cover microphones, cables, speakers, headphones, and more. And like you mentioned last week, Vadim, which I thought was a great example, um, what we talked about in essentially what was part one of this episode, episode three, that is all laying the foundation for, um, like if you're building a house, we talked about you know what, what computer you're going to buy, what kind of processing, what kind of interface. That's essentially, uh, if you want to use the example of building a house, that's like laying the foundation for everything. Not exciting stuff, but the most fundamentally important stuff. And now the stuff we're going to talk about today may be not quite as important, uh, but it's all the fun stuff. It's your interior decoration. We actually ran long last week. So Ben and I, because we're such nerds on this stuff, we actually ended up talking <laughs> for like a good 90 minutes. So we decided to uh, split it into two episodes. And so this is the, uh, the part two of, of that episode on gear. And we hope you guys enjoy. All right, let's move on to uh, topic number four, and that would be microphones. Which microphone should I buy? Um, I'll just talk about the first ones that I bought. And I, I had a very lucky journey when it came to microphones because my approach was I kind of knew when I started investing in microphones that I wanted to do the professional studio thing, more so than be an artist myself. Like a lot of it was... Uh, recording my own things at first, but I had in the back of my mind, okay, I'm going to be recording other people. Um, and so that's something to keep in mind too. Whenever you go to buy microphones, you know, what are you going to be using your microphone for? Like, what's the sound source? Is this for you? Is this for your bandmates? Um, all important things to keep in mind because microphones aren't a... The wrong way to think about microphones are what is the best microphone? Because there, it, that doesn't exist. There isn't a best microphone. Microphones are better thought of as, I've heard somebody explain them before, as uh, just like an artist needs different paintbrushes to make a beautiful painting on a canvas, uh, a recording engineer needs different microphones to capture the right recording. There's no one microphone that's going to work, no matter how expensive it is, for every application. So it's really important to know what type or know what microphones sound like or even experiment around a little bit to find out 
what's going to be working the best for your source material. So uh, with that being said, I'll just talk about the different microphones that I bought at first and my experiences with them and what I recommend. But the very first microphone I ever bought was the Audio-Technica. It was a pack, but it came with um, an AT2020, which is their large diaphragm diaphragm condenser and an AT2021, which is their small diaphragm condenser, which looks like a long pencil. It's a pencil microphone. It's a long mm -hmm. cylinder. Uh, and they both retail for $100 individually, but I think in the pack they come for 120 so it's a good deal. And I basically use those microphones on everything whenever I got started with. Um, and I still will use the pencil microphone, the AT2021, I'll use that on overheads or for acoustic instruments. Um, the 2020, that works good for uh, vocals, a room mic. Um, you can even use those. I actually use uh, large diaphragms on overheads as well. Mm. I'm not so much of a proponent of... Some people say that small diaphragms are good for overheads and miking up acoustic instruments but I, I just really recommend you know use what you've got you know experiment around a little bit uh i also wound up getting an sm57 just because it's like the most popular microphone well maybe not microphone of all time but dynamic microphone of all time for instruments that's for sure yeah. it's it's been on at least over 50 percent of probably 50 percent of all recordings ever have had an SM57 on the snare drum. It's just the go-to mic. And for maybe no other reason than like, oh, that's just the sound you need, but from the fact that it can just take a beating from a drummer and not get destroyed <laughs> if yeah. a drummer accidentally hits it. Like, they're notorious for being just indestructible and lasting forever. So it's a good microphone to have around, and I'll even... I do love the sound of an SM57 toted at 45 degrees to a guitar cap. It just sounds great. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a whole episode on recording guitar, but I, I agree with you. I actually knew a guy who I said this in a blog post on microphones, but says he claims to have dropped an SM57 into a river, and it still worked <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's what he says. I'm a little skeptical on that, but yeah, they're notoriously tough mics. They still retail for under a hundred bucks, which is crazy. Yeah, maybe more philosophically now than specific type of mics. So. Depending on the sound source you want, I think uh, you definitely want to, if you're recording something loud, like you have a loud sound source, that would be drummers, loud bass cabs, loud amp cabs. I would say you want to lean more towards dynamic microphones because they can, hander, they can handle a higher uh, sound pressure level than a condenser mic. Um, that's not always true. But I think it's definitely worth having some condenser mics uh, in in the tool shed, uh, or I'm sorry, some dynamic mics in the tool shed for that application. Um, condenser microphones they tend to be way more sensitive. They'll pick up a lot more ambient noise, but they can also uh, pick up a lot more articulation in a performance or in a vocal. So there's a lot of caveats to what I said because. Uh, you can use dynamic microphones on a vocal. In fact, what we're talking into right now is a very popular uh, dynamic microphone, an SM7B. I tend to use this microphone 
uh, on any pre-production vocal tracks just because it's so easy to set up and use. And then whenever I go back over, I'll probably do uh, a vocal shootout with a few other condenser microphones. But more often than not, I wind up using an SM7B on, I'd say, 50% of all my vocal recordings just because I, I know how to get a good sound out of it. Whereas sometimes condenser microphones, they can really pick up some nasty unwanted high frequencies. And depending on the source material, and specifically I'm thinking about vocals now, but sometimes if you have a really sibilant singer that has a lot of high-end information up there, uh, a lot of that detail that can get picked up by a condenser microphone sometimes is undesirable. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. People, actually Bob Dylan, I think, famously described a condenser microphone as a microscope and refused to... Uh, to sing into one. I used to live in an apartment building and there was like a, a nest of, of birds right outside the window. And I would use large diaphragm condenser mics to record acoustic guitar. And for like the two years I lived there, if you turn up my recordings, you could always hear <laughs> birds in the background, which is kind of a nice touch for recording acoustic instruments. But yeah, yeah, they're very, very sensitive to, to rumble and noise. Um, I would say my, my decision is similar. Um, if it's a vocalist with a, a darker, uh, kind of gruffier voice, then a condenser microphone can be nice to open up the top end. Some, if it's a singer that's really sibilant, has a lot of S's and T's or a kind of a higher voice, a uh, dynamic microphone can sound a little a little bit darker, and uh, be more be more appropriate there. Um, I would say, yeah, in general, I tell like if you're a singer songwriter and you're doing acoustic instruments, having a, a decent large diaphragm condenser microphone will will be it'll be your most multi-purpose option, right? Because you can do acoustic guitars yeah. with it, you can do vocals with it, um, and like you said, I think if you're doing loud amps, loud guitars, um, having a couple of dynamic microphones, specifically that. SM57, which is remarkably affordable, uh, would be a good call. Do we have any price recommendations for people? I, I, so the SM7B that we're talking through, it can be, I would call it a little bit pricier, especially if you're just getting into audio. It, and it's so popular too that even used ones go for $300, but I think brand new it's $400, which is a little bit pricey yeah. for what it is. I think it's- It's $400, yeah. Yeah, I think it's even, I don't think it's even actually worth that. I think it's just inflated because it's so popular, but that's my own opinion. Yeah, I think um, you can get, let's say in that under $500 ballpark, you can get perfectly great microphones. Oh, yeah. Right, there's no question about that. I mean, SM7B, but even even the large diaphragm condenser microphones, um, just, you know, just go search for condenser microphones under under $500. I think the I was looking at a couple. Uh, let me see what I had here. Like the SC2200 um, is, a, is a pretty great sounding uh, large diaphragm condenser mic that, that's under $500. Bucks. Um, How much is that There's a couple one? out there. Ooh, uh, let's see. Is that a $400 one? $300 yeah, one? I okay. it's in that ballpark. I would say you can't go, especially if you're starting out, you really can't go wrong as long as you're $100 is a good baseline. Like, you don't want to go cheap. If you see something for less that's not used, if you see something brand new that's less than $100, I would kind of avoid that. But you could get quality stuff for $100. Sometimes yeah. you can have noticeable artifacts as far as maybe the high end is, is a little bit harsh. Um, and that's, that's where the $200 level and up kind of smooths out 
those kind of maybe artifacts isn't the right word, but what I notice about the cheaper microphones is that it's not that they sound bad. They just have a tendency to sound less warm, maybe a bit more harsh. That's all I would say about it. Yeah, I, I would argue that it's even a higher, you even have to go higher than that for condenser microphones. Um, but so the SE2200 is retails for like 300 bucks. Um, okay. But I would say if if you're really on a really tight budget, if you have like a hundred bucks to spend, I'd probably opt with a with a good dynamic microphone like an SM58 or something like that, which is yeah. the vocal version of the SM57. I think it's actually the same mic with just a different capsule. Uh, I probably I think you'd get better results that way than skimping on a on a really cheap condenser microphone. Um, and I would also avoid it. You know, they have like the mics that plug directly into USB. Actually, they're getting better now. Yeah, um, I wouldn't even actually. I'm not even going to say avoid that. I I don't know what the latest and greatest is for uh, for those mics. Well, they're they're brand new, so uh, I think it's worth experimenting with if you're curious. But you know, they remain to be seen. You know what the quality of those is, and you're you're limited too as far as um you're you're avoiding your interface at that point. Right. The yeah the the uh, conversion to digital happens inside the mic. That's true. Yeah. That's correct. Okay, so is that enough about microphones, you think? I think so. I mean, we're actually doing this. We're probably biting off too much in one episode because we could probably do a whole episode on microphones. Oh, yeah, and we probably will. We'll. Go, I'm sure we'll go back into microphones later. I mean, if you guys want it, you can always write us and reach out to us. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll we'll touch on microphones a lot later. Yeah, for sure. This is just kind of a high-level overview of uh, just to get you thinking on what to start with. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about cables real quick. I don't think there's too much yep. to, to be said about it. I mean, I use the Proco cables a lot a lot of the times that um, Sweetwater makes, and they're really affordable. I do like to buy Megami cables for my instrument cables, and, and anything else that I can afford, they just wind up being more expensive uh, and, and that's for TRS mainly, which is the instrument, uh, inputs and instrument signal, but also for most of my XLRs or Proco cables. What do you use, Vadim? Yeah, I don't, uh, I do use Proco as well. Um, I'm actually going to do a blog post on cables because I was actually always of the opinion that a guitar cable was a guitar cable. I didn't really buy into the you know, the $8 per foot cables that you can get with <laughs> big solid strands of copper. But I did have a friend who who brought over a, a really expensive cable and I just plugged my guitar like DI into the interface and uh -huh. I played, I uh, played through both stuff, uh, through both a, a regular cable I had laying around that I think I like soldered myself and his nice cable. And I was really expecting to not see a big difference and there was a bigger difference than I was expecting, um, and so I'm hmm. gonna I'm gonna write a little bit more about that. Uh, but that really applies to like instruments with passive pickups. I think is where that, um, especially cable length, starts to become a factor. If you have a guitar with passive pickups, having a really long cable will can suck a little bit of the top end or life out of your out of your tone. If you have active pickups, it's not as big of a problem. I think. Um, but there is something to be said for for high quality guitar cables, um, 
And in general, I would just say, you know, keep your lengths to kind of a reasonable amount. You don't want to have 50-foot runs of uh, instrument-level cables. Uh, for things like speaker cables, it's not as big of a deal if you have a really strong signal. You can you can get much longer runs, and even for like balanced connections like XLR and all that, I think you can go pretty pretty long on those runs. Um, so yeah, I don't have I don't have a ton to say. I'm not a big fan of spending a ton of money on cables, but yeah, I do think for guitar recording, uh, there is something to be said for using shorter cable runs and maybe getting a slightly better cable quality. I'll when I when I write about it, I'll post some uh, some samples of both, and you can see if you can hear a difference. See, I agree with you. My thought process on it is I I have I have the exact same setup. I have a couple hundred dollar instrument cables that I use for all my tracking. And the reason I do that is because, you know, I'm a good player. I like to record good people through good instruments. I just would hate to skimp on just the <laughs> instrument cable being the difference between. So it's, yeah. I'm just basically thinking of like, I don't want any weak points in my chain. Whereas if I'm recording a whole drum set and I've got a whole bunch of XLRs, I'm just trying to be economical about that, especially where I can be economical, where in balance cables and XLRs, it doesn't matter as much to have that high of quality. So I'm interested to read your your blog post on that. I think that'll be good. I agree with with everything you said. That really, when we talk about signal chain, it's it's a lot of little things that add up, right? So I, I understand what you're saying with try to keep everything as as high quality as you can to eliminate the weakest links. That's kind of the, the name of the game. Um, but yeah. Totally. For instruments, maybe it makes sense. For for XLR and active connections, maybe less so. Or balanced connections. Okay, next topic. So monitors and headphones. So we have to be able to monitor what we're recording. Um, and I think in general, I would say for some strange re reason, in-ear monitors and headphones just have this tendency of reproducing audio in a way that's not as natural as hearing it come through speakers and, and through the air. I just feel like no matter, almost no matter the price point, if you're hearing music through a stereo system or through monitors that you've got and it's a few feet away from your head, you hear that more accurately than you do having cans on your ears or or uh, earbuds in or headphones like that or, or um, in your monitors. So I would say that if you can't afford it or if you, have, um, if you have it in your budget, I would recommend getting some kind of monitoring as far as actual speakers. Now that could be KRKs, which I think I'm, I think I mentioned this last episode. There's somewhere between 100 to $200 and you can go more expensive with that, but the cheaper ones are 100 to $200 per monitor. So I think at the end of the day, you're spending between two to 400 bucks, which is not bad at all for a monitor setup. And I think comparably, you can get really good headphones for that price or less, but I do think that it can be a little bit more... I don't know. It's just more isolated. Like you can think you have a really good tone in your headphones or in your in your monitoring, and then 
play it back through a, a stereo system and you're like, this sounds completely different. Have you had that experience, Vadim? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. There's something called a shadow effect, I believe is what it's referred to as. Mm. And it's, you know, when you're listening to sound through monitors, your left ear is hearing both the left monitor and the right monitor to some mm. extent. In headphones, you lose that effect. Your left ear is only hearing the left channel. And so it is kind of a less natural way to to listen to audio. But I'm going to just play devil's advocate here and say that um, your monitors, you got to be careful because your your monitors are only as good as the space in which they're in. Yeah. And if you have a small room or kind of a bad sounding room, I would almost trust myself more in headphones at that point. Uh, than I would for monitors. What do, what do you think about that? I agree because it depends on how accurate you want to be. So uh, for our audience out there that's listening, those of you that want to record your own music, it's less important for you to have a perfectly treated space than it is for somebody like Vadim and I who are mixing music. We're kind of... Right. We're at a higher level of quality control. We need to make sure that what we're mixing sounds awesome whenever it goes out whereas if you're recording you just need to know that it sounds good that it can be usable so i guess i'm playing devil's advocate a little bit back i actually just had a client um, message me he just moved into a new room and he was recording some of his songs this goes out to you keith <laughs> and he was he was confused as to why or he was not sure why in his setup uh he was messing around with some of his recordings and beats and the bass was completely disappearing in the middle of his room, right mm. in his like seated monitoring <laughs> position. It's a nightmare, yeah. And I said, take some pictures and show me what's going on. And he was in a really small room with nothing on the walls, just completely blank walls, no bookshelves, no paintings, no, uh, no, no things hanging on the wall, no treatment, nothing there, no furniture. And so he was having null points happen in his room where essentially the sound waves from his speakers were canceling out and and weird things were happening and so i recommended the same thing to him that you're talking about where i said you'd almost be better off getting um you know maybe a more expensive pair of headphones or or whatever pair of headphones because you eliminate the room effect on what you're hearing yeah yeah that's that's true and also when you're tracking you're going to need headphones to track although it, it matters less so um you know there you just want to hear the the track that you're singing over playing over or whatever but yeah i think that that's a good point what about um do you have a preference as far as closed back headphones open back headphones in ear versus over ear um my preference is it's not going to be the same for somebody I would recommend for tracking, but I mean, we're both wearing very similar headphones and they're open-backed. Uh, I have the Sennheiser HD 58X, um, which is similar to what you have. You have the Sennheiser 600 HD, right? I actually don't know. <laughs> Let me see. I think yours are the 600 yeah, HD. Yeah, HD 600, yeah. Yeah. So really, really similar headphones. I decided to go with the 58X and they're they're open back. Um, I like them because they feel a little bit more natural. They, they breathe a little bit. Whereas, um, and that's just for monitoring and listening to, to music. I enjoy it more. They wouldn't work for tracking at all because music bleeds out of it. So if you were trying to sing to a track, 
you would get so much bleed. You would, I mean, you essentially have to use closed back headphones or in-ear monitors if you're tracking. Yeah, absolutely. Especially vocals where your head is close to the microphone and you might be using a more sensitive microphone. You really want closed back headphones or in-ear monitors for that, for exactly that reason. But yeah, for listening to music for long periods of time or mixing, uh, I also prefer open backed because it's just, you can start going a little insane with closed back headphones. And- yeah. Uh, although I will say that with closed back, you get more bass response, I think. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. It's yeah. easier to, it's e- easier to hear the low end, I think. But, um, anyways, as far as recommendations go, I, it's hard for me to recommend a pair of closed back headphones for tracking. I really like the, um, the Audio Technica of, what are they audio technica 50 x i forget exactly what the name on them is at 50 x i think is what they are they're a hundred dollars and they sound great i think that they're a little bit bass heavy like overly bass heavy but a lot of people will like that um they're comfortable to wear for long periods of time so i i guess that would be my recommendation as far as a a cheaper pair of headphones to wear. Uh, In-ear-wise, the Shure SE215s, the $100 ones, I really like them. I think they sound great. I know a lot of people that like uh, rip on them a lot, and I'm like, I don't know what those people are talking about. I think they, for a $100 pair of in-ear monitors, I I think they sound really good. Yeah, I agree. I really like those. Um, Yeah, I don't don't have a a huge recommendation here. Um, I have... uh, See what I have for close back. I have Sennheiser HD 280s, which I actually sound, I think they sound awful. I hate how they sound. But it reminded me when you said, uh, when you talked about the, the beats, or like, not beats, but you said they're, they're headphones that bass are bass heavy. heavy. I see a lot of people like talk about mixing and beats and whether they should get beats headphones. To beats mix? headphones tend to have, yeah, which is crazy, right? Because <laughs> they have a very exaggerated bass response. And just like when we talk about the difference between studio monitors and speakers, with headphones, we really want them to be as honest and transparent with us as possible. So when you're looking for a set of headphones, you really want to look for something that is going to have a relatively flat frequency response, isn't going to exaggerate the bass unnaturally, because it's going to make, it's going to lie to you. It's again, it's like wearing sunglasses while shopping for, you know, wall paint. This is my, this is my actual recommendation. So I would say if you're looking for a pair of headphones, or monitors even for that matter, but headphones specifically, go to a music store, take your own music with you, take a few different genres or whatever you're, whatever you're going to be recording. Um, and maybe not your own recordings, but in that style, things that you like, things that you know, take it with you and try out a bunch of different headphones and listen to for long periods of time and really try to uh, take note of like, what do you like about certain headphones? How do they sound different from one another? Because I have four different pairs of headphones, and even though these ones are the main ones, the open-backed ones are the ones that I mainly use, I switch back and forth between all my pairs because I know the strengths and weaknesses of them. I'll go to... It's it's crazy how you just learn how they sound and how they each have a character over time because I'll wear the um, Audio-Technica 50X ones whenever uh, I really want to hear the low end, I'll put those on because I know it's an exaggerated low end and I can, it's almost like putting a microscope on 
uh, the kick drum and the bass guitar, and then I can hear what's happening there. And then I'll throw on my Sony, um, which ones are these? I'll throw on my my Sony MDR seven five zero six headphones uh, whenever I want to hear the super low subs, but also get a good mix because it has a really big presence boost, and so that I know vocals sound really good through that one. Um, and and weirdly enough, like there's um, extra sub in those ones that I can't hear in the other ones, even though they're more bass heavy. So just long story short, like. Every headphone sounds so different and each person's so unique. Like, I don't think there is really a good way to give uh, a recommendation on this. I think you just have to go try it out and see what you like. Yeah, I like what you said a lot. Listening to music you know you're familiar with uh, in headphones is uh, probably the best way to, to gauge them. Uh, before we get to cloud backup and, and how to back up things, because it's important to mention, I did want to touch on virtual instruments and different software that you can use, um, especially if you just want to get started with recording. Um, so a lot of the way that I record my guitar tracks and experiment with different things is I plug my guitar straight into my interface and then I have an instance of uh, Guitar Rig 5 so that I can just try out a whole bunch of different uh, tones. It's got dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of different amp models, so different amp heads, different cabs, different combinations, different microphones, different uh, spacing away from the cab that you have your microphone. So it's just a great way to like experiment around and see what guitar tones actually uh, really work. So I know that a lot of DAWs come with their own amp modeling now. Like Studio One has their own, I forget exactly what it's called, but it's got its own amp modeling in it. And mm. I... It seems to me that a lot of times the ones that come with the DAWs are a little bit lower quality. And what I mean by low quality is you you get some uh, you get some weird artifacts that don't sound exactly like a real uh, mic'd up amp, like some high end fizz that wouldn't be there if you recorded a real amplifier. But they still sound they still sound freaking amazing for being entirely digital. So. Uh, are there any things that you like to use, Vadim, as far as that goes, or would yeah, you recommend? Yeah, I definitely want to want to do a whole episode on this. Um, but I uh, for for this episode, I'll just say that yeah, most interfaces that we've talked about and most interfaces that are out there will let you plug a guitar bass directly into them, which is a, is a nice option because yeah, you can reamp any number of ways. When we say reamp, we talk about what what Ben just said, which is where you record a signal dry and then you kind of amp it after it's been recorded. You can do that the way Ben said with, um, you know, uh, digital signal processing in your DAW or plugins. You can also reamp to a, a real amp, which is a technique I absolutely love. And I'll, I, I'd love to talk about that on another episode. But that's where you, you bring the signal back out after you've recorded it and you can try it through different actual amps in your that are in, set up in your room. So, it's a lot of options there. It is a nice it is a nice choice, but you got to be careful with having too many choices. Sometimes that's uh you can be paralyzed if sometimes it's nice to just have your amp instead of having 100 amps to choose from. <laughs> yeah. If you're indecisive like me. Yeah, and I and I think that so my applic my application for using a whole lot of different amps is because I'm 
using a whole I'm working with a whole bunch of different styles and different projects sure. being a studio. So you listener out there, if you're just a singer songwriter or are in a band, your band probably has a sound and a genre that has, even if you might have a variety of tones, it's all going to be similar. It's all going to be in the same genre. And so maybe maybe this isn't as applicable uh, to you out there, but if you don't have anything and you want a way to get started, this is a great way to get into it and just find out what your taste might be. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. It's also a good option too if, um, let's say you're the main songwriter and you're the one that comes up with the song ideas, but then you have a band that puts it all together. Having some of these plugins and ways of laying down some tracks, even if you're not the guitar player, you can still lay down some of your tracks uh, directly in and use this amp modeling stuff. And then you have a more finished song to take to your band and then play it all together. So Definitely, definitely. Yeah, for the sake of this episode, I'll just leave it at, know that it's an option to record DI and then do something with the sound after and then... Yeah, we'll get into uh, all the details and options of what you can do in a, in a different episode. Yeah, and just really quickly, the way that a lot of these programs work, and um, some of them are vastly different, like different installation options, different uh, ways that they license the software. Sometimes it's a product key. Sometimes it's something called an iLock, which is a flash drive that you... Uh, have to license and plug into your computer anytime to use it. And that's just a way that they keep theft down. Um, but I did want to mention uh, how these work and how you can get started with them just because my brother-in-law, Joel, he had some questions about how to get started with um, recording and amp modeling as far as that goes. And a lot of these, after you buy them and install them, they are a standalone. Some of them will work as a standalone program to mess around with, but a lot of them work like plugins, uh, just like if you've messed around with your DAW at all and you see the different plugin effects that you can drag and pull onto tracks like compressors and equalizers and other things of those nature that we use to manipulate the audio. Uh, you can also use these virtual instruments or effect plugins the same way and drag them onto each track and use. So. Each company has their own way of in installing and, and setting them up, but they're really easy to use. I don't know what else to say about uh, setting up uh, those kind of plugins. Did you have anything to add as far as that goes, Vadim, or nope. anything that comes to mind? No. Okay. I think that's good. There, there are also hardware modelers. Um, I still have a, a Line 6 Pod HD 500X, which is kind of the first hardware unit I, I had ever gotten that had believable... Uh, amp tones for like heavier guitar tones, and I still use that thing uh, quite a bit as well. And uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the plugin stuff is super easy to use, and it's starting to sound better and better every year. Yeah, great. Uh, okay, so one more quick topic here. Just wanted to mention about uh, cloud backup and backing up to a physical location. So the last thing you want to have happen is have your computer hit with lightning and possibly lose everything, which did happen to me this past year. So your computer got hit by lightning, Ben? Literally got hit by lightning. Because I was sitting... <laughs> did I tell you this? No. Is it, are you uh -oh. serious? Yeah, I'm dead serious. I'm not joking. Like People joke around like this could happen. It actually happened. Was it, so. was it because your bass solo was so fire? Was that where the lightning came from? <laughs> That's where it came from. So the quick story about this is I was sitting in my house and there was a thunderstorm happening outside. 
And all of a sudden, I saw everything turn white. Literally everything turned white in, in my house for a split second. And instantly I heard that thunder crack. And I was like, oh my gosh, like my computer's on. That's the first thing I thought of. I've got to go check it. And as soon as I went in, I saw that my computer was off. But there were other electronic things in my uh, house that were running and working. So long story short, what happened was I think lightning struck outside of my house and it went through the ground and traveled up my cable internet line, fried my modem. It was, it literally smelled like an electrical fire in my house. It fried my modem and traveled through my ethernet cable into my motherboard and fried my motherboard. Thankfully. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Thankfully, all of my hard disk drives and my CPU was fine. The only thing I lost was my motherboard. So I had to replace my motherboard and I was up and running again. But yeah, so lightning strikes can happen. And the worst feeling ever is just feeling like you lost everything. So that's why it's like super important to back up everything. And I think more important than how you do the backup is just having a method in place for doing backup. Because it's really easy to just move along because um, recording and writing a song is a lot of fun, but the process that you we often don't think about is how to ensure that we don't lose it and, and make sure that we keep it forever or as long as we want it. Uh, and so one of the things that I'll do is I'll just have a a procedure in place where anytime I record a session or something like that, the very next thing that I do is like a backup step process. And that might just be like a little piece of, um, uh, so that might just be like a procedure that I follow that's on a notebook pad. And I know this is the thing I do every time I do a recording, like I back it up in a hard drive location. And I also, uh, either use some type of automatic backup system or I'll physically move my files to a cloud backup. But just to make sure that it gets done and you don't go on a long period of time without backing it up somewhere else. Uh, anything you have to say about this, Vadim? I do, I do two things in the studio. Uh, this is obviously a big concern, especially when you start working with, with clients. Uh, but yeah, it sucks losing your stuff, period. Uh, I have a a hard disk drive, like an external hard disk drive that's almost three terabytes. And that is... Um, I don't remember if it's scheduled or continuous, but I'm backing up my audio drive to that drive. And then once a day, uh, I uh, my computer uh, backs itself up or any changes that have been made to the cloud. And I use a, a system called iDrive, which I've, uh, I chose after researching a couple of different cloud backup solutions. Uh, one of the things I like about that one is that it lets you I uh, have multiple devices, so I have my personal laptop back up to there. My studio computer backs up to there. You can even do like cell phones and stuff like that. And it's it's honestly for the peace of mind you get. I'm happy to pay the uh, the monthly fee. It's one of the things every time every time my wife and I go away on vacation, the first thing I do when I walk in is like worry that a pipe has burst and my my studio has flooded or something like that. Uh, so yeah. I always run down there and look for uh, signs of water. So now I can kind of just rest a little easier knowing that my stuff is on some server somewhere else. It's true. And it, it's an important thing to think about, especially if you're if you're serious about recording your band and getting your stuff out there. You don't want to lose that information. Yeah. It's really important. Okay, so 
That was our episode. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, our recommendations on gear. Um, we wanted to do... So every once in a while on these episodes, we wanted to challenge each other with a little fun uh, challenge back and forth that we'll have the answer to next week. So the challenge for Vadim and I this week are we're going to do two different things. We're going to build a theoretical recording rig. And um, there's two stipulations to this. So we're going to do this twice. Theoretical rig. One, we're going to try to to build the cheapest possible recording rig that we possibly can. And this can be based off of the recommendations we gave you today. But the only caveat is we're going to just assume that we already have the computer. So we're not going to be choosing a new computer. We're going to assume that we're already using what we have or that we already have one available. But then we're going to build cheapest possible recording rig that we can get up and working. Uh, just to give you guys an example of you know what you can do with a little bit of money. And then the other one is we're going to try to build, we're both going to imagine that uh, we're starting from scratch, from square one, building a recording studio. And uh, we're going to talk about the things that we would buy and the reason why, whether that be for future proof or features or anything like that. Does it sound good, Vadim? That sounds great. Let's yeah, do it's it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And then we'll have our answers next, uh, next week for you guys and and we'll uh, we'll have a little bit of back and forth talking about um, the strengths and weaknesses of each of our setups, and maybe you guys can even tease us about you know our choices, especially on the cheap ones. I think that could be a little bit fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, we encourage you know we encourage you guys to do the same thing. Once uh, by the time this episode launches, we'll probably have the Facebook group up and running. So yeah, take a stab. Let's uh, let us know what what your um, what your budget setup and what your um, what your nice setup with uh, more of a budget would look like. Yeah, I love it. All right, guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it's been a long one, but um, thanks for sticking with us. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. Did I say it right? Yeah, you got it right that time. Okay, awesome. <laughs> All right. And remember, make sure you check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right, we'll see you guys next week. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support See you next week.